At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. This winter, we're taking a fresh look at a familiar story through our series, Jonah, At Odds with God. Tune in now as we face the same choice Jonah did, to receive God's mission or to resent it. At this time, I want to encourage you to take out your Bible and turn with me to the book of Jonah. You know, one of the things um, that, that blesses my heart is to see our worship center fiddling back up again. I mean, look around. Like, let's give God praise for that. You know, I want to thank you for being here. It, it does matter that we gather together. It does matter that not like a sports event where you go and you watch something like you, we're not a sports team. This is not this is not a show, but this is life and we need each other to walk through life together. So thank you. And what's amazing is over the season, as I look out, I see so many new faces, some faces of people that I don't even know. Um, but welcome. We are glad that you're here. I see some faithful faces as well. So thank you uh, for being here today. And I want to encourage you, you know, this is a season of life where people really are looking for hope and they're looking for something to give meaning to their life. And I'll tell you what, they're going to find it here. They're not going to find it in me, but they're going to find it in the word of God and in the person of Christ. And so continue, like invite your friends, invite your family, let them come and, and uh, know that if you bring a friend, like take them to the cafe, get them a free bagel, get them a free coffee and tell them the pastor said so, okay? Amen, amen. We'll get more, 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 more. All right, so we're in the book of Jonah. And as, as you're turning to the book of Jonah, I wanna ask you this question. Have you ever gone through the Bible and like you're reading the Bible and you come across a phrase that you're like, I understand what that says. What does that mean? You ever been there? Like you, you, you read something and you're like, you're scratching your head and you're like, what? Well, for me, one of those phrases is this, and it's found in Proverbs 9.10. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, you probably heard that before. But what scratches my head about this is, what then does it mean to fear the Lord? Right? What does that look like if we're called to fear the Lord? Because if the fearing the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, it's the beginning of understanding, it's the beginning of knowing how we should live and how we should walk, then we better have a, a better understanding of what it means to fear the Lord, right? Because in my, my human brain and in my experience, I understand fear in a different way. Right? Like if I'm afraid of the dark, Right? I'm not running into the darkness. Right? If I'm afraid of the dark, I'm, running I'm, I'm trying to avoid the darkness, right? Like if I'm afraid of sharks, I don't go into the ocean. Right? Or if I'm afraid of sharks, I don't go to SeaWorld and ask them to drop me into the tank, right? So is the Lord saying the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom? Like the, the beginning of wisdom is found when we run away from the Lord? Absolutely not. That can't be the case. And so we've got to deeply understand that we've got to fight against our natural tendencies of things that we fear to be afraid of, to run away from, and instead we boldly approach. This is biblical fear. 
And I, I want to explain it like this so we can understand how, how it works in God's design. God doesn't want us to be afraid of him. But fearing the Lord in the right way is the beginning of wisdom. And today as we continue our series in Jonah, we're going to see the right way to fear the Lord and the wrong way to fear the Lord. And so the right way to fear the Lord begins with understanding God's character. Right? We're, going to, we're going to see this play out in the passage today. So I'm going to like forecast where we're going in Scripture and then I'm going to show you how that shows up, okay? So the beginning of fearing the Lord, we must understand God's character. And there are two sides, two massive sides to God's character. Right? God is love. Right? God is full of grace. God is full of mercy. God is abounding in loving kindness. God is all of these things. He's love. He is forgiving. He's all that. But then we also see that God is just. Right? God is just. He must judge and he must care for and do. He would not be a just God if he, didn't, if he didn't care for sin and didn't deal with sin and didn't judge sin and bring about consequences of sin. So we, we, we can't have God in just one of these things. God is not just all justice, which he is justice, but, and he's not just all love. And some of us want to, to try and make God be who we want him to be. We want, I want to accept God as the God of love. I don't want the God of justice. And so we, we've got to keep these two in tension because they're both realities of his character. So we understand that God is love, but we also understand that God is just. And we must realize that in his justice, God is angry about sin. God is angry about sin. God hates sin. Sin must be punished. Sin cannot go unpunished and him be a just and loving God. So being aware of God's justice in our lives causes us to fear. Right? Who here today is perfect? Thank you. Thank you. We have nobody that's delusional. Right? We know today that we have done wrong. And we know today that we stand before God because we have failed. God has clearly said, here's the standard. Here's the lane in which I want you to run in. And each one of us has gotten our own way. We've gotten off course. Some of us have gotten way off course. And some of us have gotten off course just a little bit. But guess what? We all stand before God guilty. And though you may be able to hide your sin from the world, you can't hide your sin from God. God knows your sin. He knows what you've done. He knows your thoughts. He knows the motives behind your heart. He knows all those things. And you stand before God judged. That should cause us to freak out. Though you can hide the sin from your wife, though you can hide the sin from your kids, though you can hide the sin from your, your boss and, and your neighbors and all that, and you think you're all good, we must understand that God sees, God knows, and God is just. And I think sometimes the church has forgotten that. God is just. And in his justice, there ha he has to deal with it. And that should cause us to fear. Not fear in a way that causes us to run away from God. Because when you run away from God in your sin, guess what? You have no ability to deal with it. 
Now here's the thing that makes everything different in, in the sight of God. When we sin and when we know that God is just, he calls us to come to him so that he can deal with our sin and give us forgiveness. Right? That's different, right? And so we, we understand that God is just and that causes us to fear, but that fear should produce faith so that we bring our fears and bring our sin to God so that we can call on him for salvation. Where we come to him and say, God, look at the mess that I've made. I know that I stand guilty for you. Please save me in the midst of my mess. And what does that do? It produces faith. Because it says no longer can I fix myself, but I turn it over to the God of the universe who can fix it. And then what happens? God fixes it. And then what does that produce? It produces awe and it produces worship. That's the beginning of wisdom. Does that make sense? Fear transitions to faith, which produces worship. And this is what we're gonna see in the passage today, that there's a right way to fear the Lord and there's a wrong way to fear the Lord. So as we're walking through uh, the, the book of Jonah. Last week we saw that Jonah is a prophet. And a prophet, he was called by God to bring God's message to God's people with God's authority. Remember that from last week? He was called to God. He was set apart with the specific purpose of being God's messengers to people. That he was to go tell exactly what God wanted him to say in God's power and in God's authority to people. And so the word of the Lord in Jonah chapter one, verse one, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah and the Lord says, I want you to go to the city of Nineveh, who's part of the Assyrian empire. And what I want you to do is I want you to call them out. And Jonah defies God. Jonah says, I will not. It's almost as though he takes his, his smock that says, I am a prophet of the Lord. He takes that smock off and lays it on the table and says, I quit. He says, I'm not going there. In essence, it was like God from in the state of Michigan was calling him to go to New York City to proclaim uh, condemnation among the city. And he says, no, instead he goes to California and he gets on a boat or he gets on a plane and he wants to go to Hawaii. That's exactly what it says. So instead, and he doesn't say exactly that. He says, I'm giving you in context. So he's going the opposite way. Instead of being on mission from God, he's going so that he can sit on a beach and he can soak up the sun and so he can just be out of the game. And so today what we see is that Jonah was hoping to flee from the presence of the Lord. He heads down to Tarshish and he finds himself, he pays a fare and he finds himself on a boat and he goes down to the belly of the boat thinking that, thinking that he has defied God, thinking that he has gone away from the presence of the Lord, and now I want us to see how the Lord responds to his defiance. I'm gonna start back in verse three. It says, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship, the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled cargo that was on the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. 
So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And then they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, the one who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid, and they said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you so that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew even more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew even more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us the innocent blood for you. O Lord, have done as it has pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Contrasting in this passage, we see fear of the Lord in the right way and in the wrong way to fear the Lord. Today we see God's response to Jonah's flight. And how does God respond? He responds by sending a great wind and a mighty storm that it threatened to destroy the very ship that Jonah is on. And as we walk through this account, we see two different characters responding to the situation differently. We, we see Jonah and how he responds to the storm, and we see the sailors and how they respond. There's a right way to respond in reverent fear and a wrong way to respond. And what I want us to see as we look at this passage today is that reverent fear is a healthy part of submissive faith. Reverent fear is a healthy part of submissive faith. And we see through these two characters this reverent type of fear. But what's amazing is this reverent type of fear doesn't come through the character which we would assume it would come from. We would assume that Jonah would show this kind of fear. But instead, we see it as the sailors. Today we're going to see who it is that truly fears God. We'll see three characteristics in this passage of people who truly fear God. The first characteristic of those who truly fear God is this. People who seek God with their questions. Those are the ones that fear the Lord. Look in verse 4. It says, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a, a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo into the sea that was on the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down an inner part of the ship to lay down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. 
Then they said to one another, let's cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? You see, Jonah has been completely defiant of the Lord. And the Lord responds in this way to get his attention. He allows this big storm to wake him from his spiritual funk. We see immediately as this storm starts arising, Jonah has no desire to respond in seeking after God. Instead, what Jonah has done is he's followed this downward spiral, this downward spiritual spiral. As we see the author of Jonah has has given this presence that that Jonah has gone down to Joppa. He goes down to the belly of the, the, um, the boat. And in the belly of the boat, he has fallen fast asleep. And the storm comes and he's not even aware what's going on. And so in some way, he has entered into the spiritual paralysis and spiritual numbness has set in. Trouble's coming. He's awakened and is aware and has no concern for what's going on. Jonah's spiritual descent stands in contrast to the response of the sailors. While Jonah continues to move away from God, the sailors begin initially to move towards God as they are sailors on the sea. They know the sea. And on this day, this was no ordinary storm. This was a storm that they knew could only be created by God. And so how do they respond? We see that they respond by calling on their gods. And I want you to see this here. As see was they, as the mariners were afraid and they cried out to his God. That's a lowercase g. Right? Each one of them had faith in something. We don't know what their faith was in, but it's a lowercase g. And so what do they do? Even people that do not know the God of the universe, they begin crying out to their gods because they knew in this situation they were in deep mess and they needed help. And so they start calling out to their gods. And even the the captain of the sea goes down to Jonah. And he's like, what do you mean? Don't you realize what's going on? Like, there's a storm out there. We are surely going to die unless God intercedes. And he says, arise, call out to your God. Maybe your God is the right God. Maybe our gods are impotent in this, but maybe your God is powerful enough to intercede. And it gets so bad that they're continuing as they're crying out to their, their various gods. They get to the point of like, we've got to figure out like what's going, who's at fault here? Who has ticked off God in such a way that we've got to do something? So we even say they, they even tried in their own might, right? They see the, the storm is coming, so they, they take everything and they try to lighten the load of the boat so that it can, it can, um, it can float better in the sea and they've done all that and finally they get to the part where they're going to cast lots and this is a way of, of, of understanding the will of the Lord we don't do this anymore um, but back in the day that's what they did and so they, they it's almost like they go 
and they're doing this lottery and they're seeking God and they're saying, God, who is at fault here? Who has done something to irritate you, to disobey you, to defy you? God, show us so we can deal with it. And we see that Jonah wins the lottery or loses it. Right, the lot falls on Jonah. And they come to him. And they have all these questions of him. Like, who are you? Where are you from? Why are you here? What's going on? Because they want to get it fixed because they realize that they are witnessing God and his power and his might against their own frailty. And we see a right response. When you, when you sense that God is bigger than you, when you sense your problems are bigger than you, when you feel overwhelmed by the world, the greatest way to respond because we finally see our own frailty is to come to God. Is to come to him and say, God, I need help. This is a mess. Help us, please. So one way we can recognize a reverent fear is by looking at God, our disposition towards God and the challenging moments of life. That's how we know what we fear. Right? When, when we're afraid of something, how do we respond? That shows us what we're really afraid of. The sailors here display for us what reverent fear, how it begins it begins by turning to God in prayer, seeking to understand, asking the questions of a deeper understanding of the reality that they see. On the other hand, Jonah shows us what the lack of fear entails. No prayer, no seeking, no desire to follow God's will, not even when his life is on the line. So when challenges come in your life, where do you go? Do you go to your friends? Do you go to your parents? Do you go to your own head and try to seek to find answers and understanding? Do you seek to try to fix the situation yourself? Do you step in and you're like, okay, this is a bad thing, but I got this. I got this all on my own. Well, you've just stepped out of the way of fearing the Lord and you've stepped into trying to fix it yourself. See, the right response when we go through difficult times is to go to God and ask questions. Asking questions like, God, what are you doing? That I'm seeking to understand. Like, I, I don't understand how my challenges are fitting into your greater plan of redemption. So God, help me just to understand, like, what's going on? And then ask the question, God, what do you want me to do? Like, as a result of this, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to respond in the midst of this difficult time? And that's the right way. So we begin with our questions, bringing our questions to God. And that's what we see as the sailors seek answers and ask their questions. We see Jonah responding for the first time. And his response, along with the sailors' response, teaches us another important truth about reverent fear. That people that have reverent fear are people who call out to God in their struggle. Look at me in verse 9. And I said to them, this is Jonah responding, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry ground. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to them, what is this that you have done? 
For the men knew he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down? For the sea grew more and more temptuous. And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will be quiet and will quiet down for you. For I know that it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode harder to get back to dry ground, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more temptuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it has pleased you. It's amazing how they come to Jonah with these questions after it's been identified that he's the one causing all these problems. And they come to him with all these questions and he finally speaks. This is the first time that we hear the words of Jonah in the book. Up until this point, we've seen a lot of his actions, but we haven't heard his words. And it's interesting, and sometimes we can gloss over this, but it's interesting how he responds. He says, I am a Hebrew. Now, that may be simple for us to to overlook, but we can't overlook. Jonah's a lot of things. Right? Jonah is a prophet of God. He has been called out with a specific mission. And how does Jonah choose to, res- to identify himself? Through his ethnicity. Don't miss this. He's not claiming his identity with God, but he's claiming his identity with people. Because remember, that's why he's running. Right? He's running because he wants to save his people. It would be like him saying, in our context, by him calling out his Americanness. Right? I want us to be aware of this. Like, and we get this confused a lot of times. Right? Your American identity and your Christian identity, they're not melded into one. Though we want it to be many times. Your Christian identity trumps your American identity. This is not a a mixture together of of him trying to take his ethnic identity and trying to meld it into his his, um, religious identity in a way that lifts up his ethnic identity. Does that make sense? So many times, like, we want to say that, like, America is Israel. It's not. It's not. Our identity is is in Christ. And so better for him to have said, I am a prophet of God. For us, it would be, I am a Christian, a follower of Christ. That's the identity that we lead with. But then this is, this is strange. For not only is he calling out his ethnic identity, then he goes on and he says, I fear the Lord. Now, this is, not, uh, this is not the Lord like small g. This is the name Yahweh. This is God's holy name that he reveals to his people. So he's saying, he's clearly identifying. I'm talking about the God of the universe. And he's like, he dare say in his identity that he fears the Lord. You know, it's no wonder that people look at us as Christians and they're like, you hypocrite. He's the most hypocritical person on the face of the earth in this moment because he knows who he follows. He he knows who is his God, that he is the Lord of, of all. And he says that he fears him. 
And he goes on to further identify. He's the God of heaven. He's the one who has made the sea and the dry ground. I know who it is that I'm running from. And he says that he has fear with his mouth, but his actions are completely opposite. Someone needed to hear that today. How many times in our own life do our lips not match up with our actions? He says he fears the Lord, but yet he doesn't respond in the right way. So again, we see the sailors standing in contrast to Jonah. They exhibit reverent fear when they recognize the sovereignty and power of God. As the story goes on, their fear of God continues to rise and gets greater and gets greater. Even in the point of after he comes to him and says, I'm the one that has done this, throw me over into the sea. We see that their, their mixture of fear and reverence, they're, they're reverent of God because they're like, wait, we can't kill this guy. That's, that would be against God. Murder is wrong. And so what do they do? They're like, we gotta fix this. We gotta, we gotta get here. We gotta save this man from God and we gotta save ourselves. So they start rowing even harder. And finally, their fear greatly increases because they understand the sovereignty of God. And then a mighty shift happens. Do you see their prayers? Their prayers change. After he identifies who they are, it says, for the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And then their prayers later on. They called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. There's a change. They're no longer calling God with a little g. They have now, because they see the power of almighty God right before them, they begin to call out on his name. People that shouldn't be calling on his name are calling on his name. And the person that should be calling on his name has refused to call on his name. Instead, what he says is, it's better for me to die than to even move one step closer to God. Do you see that? He would rather die. And so he's like, kill me. In essence, he's committing suicide. He says, it's better for me to be thrown over for once you do, all the storms will cease. Everything will cease to happen. In their desperation, in their struggle, they call out to God. In our desperation, in our struggle, we call out to God. This is what it means for people that fear the Lord. And the third step of those that fear the Lord, people who respond to God with submissive worship. Remember what I said is we're gonna see it again, right? We begin with fear, turns to faith, responding in worship. And this is what we see here. It says in verse 15, so they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered sacrifices to the Lord and made vows and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Jonah, in his defiance, hits rock bottom. Instead of turning in repentance to the Lord, he still is defiant against the Lord, and he finds himself in the belly 
of a great fish in the bottom of the sea. That is the trajectory of those that don't fear the Lord. But look at the disposition of the sailors. They feared the Lord. This is Yahweh. This is the God of the universe. They have gone from not even believing in, they had their own little God that they had made. And in this experience, they go from understanding who that is now to seeing the God of the universe of who he is. And what did they do? They respond in worship. They bow their knee to Yahweh. What an amazing thing. And they offered sacrifices to the Lord and made vows to the Lord. This is just an expression of showing how they gave of themselves. They submitted themselves to the Lord in reverent worship. Now, in essence, there, there's some other things that are going on here that, that we need to understand. There, there are two references that we need to understand in this passage, how they fit into to the greater scripture. See, in, in Leviticus chapter 16, we fi find instructions for uh, the Day of Atonement, which was the, the day that, that God gave his, the holiest day of the year, where God allowed his people to come together so they could see the severity of their sin and their sin could be atoned for. In Leviticus 16, what they would do is they would gather together and they would cast lots. They would cast lots over the goats. And whichever the, the, the goats the lot fell upon, Symbolically, but also uh, before their eyes, what God would do is, is the sin of the nation of Israel was placed on that goat on which the lot was felt. And then the goat was sent out of the city into the wilderness. He's referred to as the scapegoat, showing the reality and the punishment for sin. And what we see in some sense is there's, there's a combination of, of what that was taking place in the Day of Atonement in the Old Testament and what's happening in Jonah, right? The lot fell on Jonah and the sin was placed on him and he was cast out. So in some ways, Jonah becomes the scapegoat. But then there's also something in here where it's pointing to Christ and Christ points back to what was taking place in Jonah. And this is found in Matthew chapter 12. It says, when a, a group of religious leaders asked Jesus for a sign, this is how Jesus responds in Matthew chapter 12, verse 39. It says, but he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. This is like, God, your redemptive plan in all of history is amazing. Jesus sees it. Jesus knows it, right? Jonah's in the belly of the fish because of his disobedience. Jesus is in the heart of the earth because of your and my disobedience, right? Jesus is a better Jonah, a way better Jonah, because Jonah shows yours and my response to God. Our running away from him, our, our despising him, our rejecting him. But Jesus shows the cure to the curse of all of our rebellion. Let me remind you that Jesus came as the prophet from God who was fully God and fully man. He came and lived a perfect life, obeying God the Father every single step of the way. And he came knowing that he had come to be the sacrifice for all sin. 
that he would be the sacrificial lamb, that he would be the scapegoat, that he would be the one that would take on all of the sin of the world, all of the shame and all of the wrath of God on the cross. And Jesus went to a grave and was dead for three days and three nights. But the grave could not hold him. Because his sacrifice was enough, God raised him from the dead and Jesus in himself put to death, death. He paid the penalty for all sin. And that's what makes us look at Jesus and be so magnified by him because we could not save ourselves. You cannot save yourselves. You cannot be made right with God in yourself. You have to come to Jesus and you have to bow your knee before him and you have to confess that you are a sinner and you have to believe and allow him to be the Lord of your life and when you do all your rebellion is paid for all of your sin all of your shame gets wiped away because it's placed on Jesus and when we consider Jesus for who he is we must respond in worship because Jesus has done the work that we could not Reverent fear is a healthy part of submissive faith. I want to leave us with this quote. Our worship is not a response to how Jesus makes us feel. Our worship is a response to Jesus' worth regardless of how we feel. Here at this church, we lift the name of Jesus high. Because he is our only hope. We are Jonah, but he is Jesus. And Jesus fixes us. Jesus changes us. Jesus gives us the power to live holy lives. God does not save you so that then you can begin to live in your own strength and power saying, I can fix myself. No, because you've just gone away from the gospel itself. God has saved you so that you continue to come back to him in your time of need and say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you. This should be our prayer every single moment of the day. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you to be a better spouse. Jesus, I need you to be a better parent. Jesus, I need you just to be a better person. Make me the person that you want me to be. That should be our plea. And our response should be worship. So we're gonna end our time here together in worship. I'm gonna pray in just a moment. And I wanna encourage you during this time of response, maybe your response doesn't need to be worship yet because maybe you're not there. Maybe your first response is confession. Maybe somewhere along the way today as you've heard the word being proclaimed, God's spirit has been hard on you. And he's been showing you in the area of your life that you have not been following the ways of, of going towards the Lord, but you've been going away from the Lord. And you, you've been going down this spiritual decline and maybe in your heart there's spiritual numbness. Maybe you're like a zombie just going through the motions and you've forgotten. Maybe you're in the bottom of the belly of that ship. Because I'll tell you, there is a great storm all around us. There are people every single day dying and going to hell. There is a spiritual battle that we're in the midst of. People's hearts and minds are being totally shattered all around us. And if you're sitting in the belly of the boat, 
hoping for safety and security, you're misguided and you're misinformed and you better get out of the bottom of the boat. We've got to stand in this time in history and allow our faith in Christ to be known because that's what our world desperately needs. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. And Father, we come confessing that we're Jonah. God, in every ounce of our being, we desire like safety and security and we just want to sit and rest. And yet that's not what you've called us to do. I'm thankful that you sent Jesus. I'm thankful that Jesus has come to forgive us of our rebellion, to give us, forgive us of our laziness, to forgive us of our desires to just be alone. God, we thank you that because of what Jesus has done, our sins can be forgiven and we can live lives of worship before you because no longer are our sins counted against us, but that you paid the penalty for them on the cross. So today, may we respond in confession, but may we also respond in fear. Fear that leads us to deepen our faith and that ultimately responds in worship. So in these moments, God, as we sing, may our worship come from a place of gratitude and gratefulness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself today.